So you spend countless hours trying to figure out exactly what it is that you want to do. And then you spend even more time trying to figure out how to do what it is that you want to do. Um, and this is something that we all go through as an artist. Um, it's a fun stage trying to figure out what it is that you want to do. And it's an even more exciting stage learning how to do what it is to, that you want to do. But then comes the reality. Then comes the difficult portion. How do I support myself doing what it is that I want to do? Um, and this, for me, uh, was a huge thing when I was uh, doing photography full time. I started, if you guys haven't heard the show before, I started as a director. I went to school to be a film director. And then when I came home from school, um, I was a, a young punk, <laughs> basically. And it was really hard for me to convince any of the cinematographers to work with me. Uh, and this was pre-digital. This was at the birth of digital tech. So a lot of the cinematographers in that time period were old school. They were still 35 millimeter. Um, and shooting was expensive. And so you had to be picky about the projects you picked because time and money and expense. And so uh, I couldn't convince any of the uh, older cinematographers in the city of Boston to work with me. So I had to teach myself how to shoot um, and getting your hands on film cameras, getting your hands on 35 millimeter film is very expensive. So I went to the next best thing. I learned how to shoot and how to develop and how to process using still photography. And so I spent years sort of developing that technique and figuring it out and eventually figured out that uh, there was this, the advent of digital. And digital was something new and exciting and fast. Um, and so I made that decision. I was like, where do I want to go? Do I want to stay with film or do I want to go with digital? And thankfully I jumped into the digital market because that marketplace was starving for cinematographers because at that time it still wasn't respected. Um, and it was sort of seen as a flash in the pan. And so it was a decision that I had made at that point to do. But while doing this stuff, um, I decided that I really like taking pictures. I really like people's faces. I really like connecting with human beings and capturing it in stills. Um, and that was a hobby of mine and sort of like a lesson uh, exercise of mine more than anything else. But uh, I started to get calls to do it, which was interesting. And then when you start to lean on that, you ask yourself, well, how do I support myself with this craft? And since then, the developments of photography have been insane. Uh, you're talking about digital SLRs. You're talking about like super low light cameras. Uh, you're talking about the fact that anybody can take an amazing photograph with their iPhone, for God's sakes. Um, and so the value of that job has seemed to gone down. Um, and there's a lot more people in the marketplace ready to do it, which is interesting. I mean, I don't know how many times I would talk to a creative director and they're like, yeah, well, you know, like a nephew of mine has a digital camera, so uh, he's just gonna take the shots. Uh, it was just an interesting place to be. And if you are a young photographer at this point, you're asking yourself the same questions, right? Uh, how do I get work? What do I charge for my work? What is my work worth these days? Um, and this is something that I've talked about on the show in previous episodes with other photographers. And I wanted to get a guest on that has work, that makes money, that uh, goes through the process of uh, securing pretty high profile clients and, uh, and doing some interesting work 
Um, and also, strangely, going back to film, going back to the old way of doing it and shooting it that way and creating, I don't want to say, it's not a gimmick, but it's more of a style, it's more of a choice that is fun um, and interesting for the subjects. And I think uh, that may also have led to a lot of the pictures that he's taken. Um, so I was very excited. I reached out to him on Instagram um, and I was very excited uh, when he wrote back and was like, I'd love to be on the show. I'm coming to LA for a week. Um, so he's coming by this morning. So I'm just recording this episode while waiting for him. Uh, his name is Corey Nichols um, and you can check him out on Instagram. What's his Instagram handle? Hold on as I'm that dude that goes through and uh, looks on the web. So Corey Nichols, his Instagram is Unicorn Fight Club, <laughs> which was uh, the other reason why I was really excited to talk to him. I think it's a fantastic name. Uh, he's a photographer out of um, Atlanta. He comes here and works in Los Angeles. Uh, he's done. He's got clients. His client list is pretty insane. He's got clients like HBO, Warner Brothers, um, and if you go to his Instagram account, you'll see what he does. He actually shoots. Uh, celebrities using Polaroids, which is fascinating to me. And it's such an interesting gimmick, and it just seems that uh, it's a smart move to make because it's very lightweight, it's very low footprint, and he's able to get into some of these places where there are celebrities and take photographs. Um, so I'm curious about it. I want to ask his process. I want to ask how he got into it. I want to see how the business is going for him. Um, and so if you're a young photographer and you want to learn a little bit more about what's actually going on in the industry, then today's episode's for you. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, as always, thank you guys for supporting me and the show. Um, you can always go to the Instagram account. You can go to my Insta Instagram account. It's at Mike Petchy at Instagram. Uh, or you can go to the podcast Instagram account, which is uh, in the love with the process pod. That's in love with the process P-O-D on Instagram. There you can leave questions, comments, you can suggest guests, and some of you have suggested guests, and I've got them. That's how uh, I went and talked to Ryan Conley again, because you guys asked to have him on the show, and I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. It was a fun one for me and for Ryan, and the, uh, the door-knocking rivalry continues. <laughs> um... So that was really fun and exciting. And uh, if you guys go to my Instagram, at Mike Petchy, um, there you, if you want to see my new film, who's there, the only way you can do so is if you drop me a note. You have to write me a message there. Send me your three favorite horror movies. And if I agree with you, I'll send you instructions on how to see the film. I'm not releasing it to the public right now. So the only people who are seeing my new film are people who listen to the show and people who follow me on Instagram. It's the way it's going to be. Um, I think it makes it special. It makes it fun. It makes it worth your time. It makes it worth my time to show it to you. I just hate dumping out material into the sea of YouTube and having no one give a shit about it. So I'm only going to show the people that really want to see it. So like I said, go follow me at Mike Petchy on Instagram. Um, and uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's not delay the uh, show any longer. Um, you know the deal. Right now, I have all of our podcast recording equipment set up in our living room uh, on nice, comfy chairs, nice, comfy couch. I've got my trusty mug of ice water here with me, so I suggest you do the same. Grab something to drink. 
rudely sip it in front of other people. Find a nice comfy couch. Grab those noise-canceling headphones. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the new episode of In Love With The Process. Position myself in the. Mm-hmm. Get comfy. There we go. Now I feel like I can open up from right here. This is <laughs> what I do with my counselor every time. I'm like, hey, let <laughs> me just take my pants off and uh, get really comfortable. <laughs> now I can tell you about what my dad did. <laughs> not because my pants are off, though. We're not going to make. All right. I, I mean, the pants off is just an added bonus, as I said. <laughs> <laughs> mm. that's what most of the listeners at home don't realize is that when you come the guests show up we all take our pants off and then we start the podcast that'd be that that would be one way of doing it <laughs> it's the best way to break the ice <laughs> welcome to my home you can hang your pants on the wall we will now get started <laughs> All right, all right. So, uh, if you guys haven't guessed already, we've started the show. Oh, we already started the show. I'm going to start it because that stuff's great. Oh no! <laughs> I thought that was off. I thought that was off the cuff. I was just, I was just being stupid. Shoot, everyone! I have two layers of pants in case my first one breaks down. <laughs> so I'm sitting here with Corey. Thanks for being on the show, bud. Hey, thanks for having me. That's what everyone says. It's cliche, but I mean it. Mm. It's really cool that you. Uh, said yes we were talking before we went live on air and uh i get a lot of my guests just from following in down the hole on instagram and looking at work that i like and now i have an excuse to like reach out and be like dude you want to hang out um and it's nice because now people are like he isn't just some random guy in his house. <laughs> i can vouch i can vouch for mike he's not a creep so if he reaches out to you he owns a home or he has a home yeah i rent a home I yeah exactly <laughs> you could you could be one of the uh, millions of mobile home people on the streets out here so mm-hmm. it's a it's an actual foundation mm-hmm. yeah right M- more than four walls <laughs> it doesn't have a tarp that runs across the top of it. No, no, no. But that would be exotic, though. <laughs> That's my new thing, is I'm going to podcast from the streets. <laughs> this is Mike reporting on the streets to tell you about what's going on in Glendale. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've noticed that uh, out here, there isn't a ton of homeless out here either, which is fascinating. In yeah. Glendale, it's weird. We lived in uh, Sherman Oaks, and uh, we, like, eventually over time, we had people who just started camping out on our lawn. And then we had homeless people who'd take deuces on our driveway. I'm not even kidding. And I tried to, I tried to um, talk them into not doing it by giving them pizzas. So I was like, hey, if you guys can just not, this is our driveway. If you can just cross the street, I don't know, like not in their driveway, but somewhere else. And then when the cops came, because I called the cops on because they kept doing it and I caught them. Cops came and the guy's like, well, the homeless guy said he's really good friends with you because you gave him a pizza. And I was like, dude, no, that, that was... That was uh, that was a plea to just stop. <laughs> that was an olive branch. <laughs> Although I probably was giving them ammunition for reloading onto our 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so really, it's my fault. It's my fault. You're just buying them ammo. <laughs> I'm just like, here's a pizza. Please don't do what's going to naturally happen in 24 hours after eating this pizza on my driveway. I'll tell you what. I'll buy. Uh, I'll buy you a bunch of bullets if you promise not to use that gun. <laughs> Oh, nothing says respect me like just gosh, man. It's just crazy. I was like, we can be friends, right? No, this oh, we we live in real life. That's where we live. Shoot. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> let me let me get let me let me turn a little professional here for the beginning of the show. I thought this was professional. <laughs> <laughs> we got the mics in front of us and everything. It, yeah, fe- it feels head- very professional. Got the headphones on. It feels shit. very professional. Um, so. Uh, you're a photographer. You've been a photographer for years. Um, and uh, for the audience that doesn't know who you are, how'd you get started? How'd you get in? I, I mean, I technically, uh, I technically got started when I was about eight years old. Really? I um, did you ever? Is, was there like a B Dalton books on the East Coast? Did you guys what have is, that? What is a B Dalton? Books? Okay, there's B Dalton books, and so it was basically uh, Barnes and Noble before Barnes and Noble. Okay. And then, or Borders before Barnes and Noble. Huh, I'm getting really meta on my like <laughs> on my bookstores going out of uh, uh-huh. business. Um, so there's a B Dalton in our mall when I'm eight years old, and uh, I see this this photo book for kids. It's like a bear book, mm-hmm. and it comes with a camera that's oh. shot on. I uh, is it like 120 film? Is that the plastic little like roll with the, the yes, yes, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a uh, it's 120 film, and. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. So I end up getting it, and I take uh, a lot of family photos on it, and I make mm-hmm. a photo album, and I do all that stuff. And I got really into it. And then um, it, it just kind of, from there, I've it's always fascinated. It just it always felt very magical when you take a photo, uh, if you can develop it in a dark room. Mm-hmm. Um, everything just felt so magical, and it kind of it always blew my mind the fact that. Uh, I don't know. I'm sounding so stupid right now, no, but it's, but you know, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's something that is, uh, you think about like the process of what it took to create it. Yeah. Um, well there's a, there's a, okay. So there's a really cool science involved if you're using film. Like I used to do dark room stuff too. And that was like, it was like a magician's room. The fact that you can't let light in there, the fact that you're mixing chemicals, the fact that you're like getting high <laughs> off all the chemicals <laughs> in that space. It's, it's a weird process. And then it, I remember the first time I developed prints and I remember looking in these chemical baths and you're, you're following the instructions and crossing your fucking fingers and hopefully it's going to work. And then just watching this image just form on a, on a piece of paper was just like, holy fuck, I'm doing magic shit in this space. Yeah, well, it just comes out of nowhere and the fact that a red light's not ruining it. There's like, there's yeah. so many things into it that just, um, but see, I get, I get easily into these, uh, I don't know. Like, like for example, I, I can go into deep conversations about how much like computers will blow my mind. I'm 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 not gonna let us go professional. So I'm gonna take us into like weird do conversations. It, but but no, like for for me, you know, the thought about I talk about my friends like it's like, are you high? I'm like, no, I'm definitely not. This these are just weird thoughts that I have. Like like for example, how did you like the components of a computer, right? It, yep. It's it's essentially metal and plastic, and it's just it's elements from the earth, and yet we have taught it a language. Yeah, it's crazy that will reproduce and give us. You know, out of zeros and ones, it's the it's the craziest thing when you think about it. Um, it just it all feels like magic. Like I don't know. I, I 
this is where I think I think my wife loves being married to me because I'm I'm so easily amused by things. I'm like, wow, rock! Ah, it absorbs water, and you can throw it. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it came with the earth. It came with it. So <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I, I feel I feel stupid, but at the same time, I'm just very easily amused. So you know, you bring down like the basics of uh, how much of like a scientific exploration it took just to even bring about photography yeah, into existence it's crazy you know it's crazy. It, it really is crazy so the whole thing has always piqued my interest and lo and behold i'm 34 years old and still very amused by it so that's well, that's where we're at that's important right you have to be amused by something especially because you, you're doing this full-time this is your career right this yeah is what you do yeah yeah and i mean and here's the thing i mean i go through highs and lows with my career as well i think everyone does but at the same time um, you got to find the reason for why you're doing what you're doing. There has to be an interest or a peak. It's like a, it, you know, you can't just be a lawyer because you want to make money. Right. Like that'll be awesome for about two years and then you're just going to really <laughs> hate your life. I mean, it's the same thing with photo. There's got to be an underlying purpose for why you're shooting what you're shooting. Yeah. And what is that purpose for you? Is it that, is it that love for the, for all the little techniques and the tricks and stuff or is it bigger than that? Um, oh, there, there's, there's so many reasons behind it. For me, I feel like everyone has an inerrant value to them that for me, I want to showcase. Um, and I think it's something that goes beyond, uh, clicks in society. You know, I, I get to photograph so many different people from so many different places and so many people like I would disagree with. I would agree with like, there's so many mm. different people I've gotten to photograph just by doing a lot of film festivals and doing a lot of stuff like that for, um, for entertainment weekly and people. And, you know, through the whole thing, you realize like there, there is such a value in people. Mm. Um, I, there's such a base value in the fact that like, I personally believe that we're all created by God. So therefore it's like, it's this inherent value that just supersedes, um, no matter what social status you have, no matter mm. where you come from, no matter any, anything else, uh, it, it really is based in the sense that like we are all equals, so we should be given value for that purpose. You know, hmm. um, that to me is like the big one. There's also other things. I'm I'm so quirky. I I have a lot of weird things. I've already said I've I've been in your house for like five minutes, and I think I've already said about <laughs> ten weird things that are very questionable. Uh. But no. I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of ways in which I think I use photography as a means to connect with people. Um, my my wife my wife finally made me take an Asperger's test. <laughs> to be honest, nice. Um, and I tested positive for everything except for uh, the empathy one. I actually have empathy for people. Oh, good. Which refers back to the first reason for why I love photographing people. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I. Like I have a hard time making eye contact with people and I have to constantly like run a script in my head that tells me how to be normal. Um, and through that, I feel like when I'm holding a camera, it's almost like everything naturally comes together and I feel like a person. Yeah. Um, and it's not like I don't have to think about what that dynamic should look like. It just naturally comes out and I can, it's weird. It's like I can be holding a camera. People can be total assholes to me and I'm like, oh, okay. Like nothing, as long as I'm holding it, it's it's almost like the, um, 
I was just gonna say the conch on Lord of the Flies, but then I was like, "But no one dies." I swear, it's that was a terrible analogy. But, but I feel like I, you know, what I mean, it's like I'm holding this thing, and and I feel like uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm normal for at least a little moment, or at least I'm unaware of how weird I am. It's probably that one. I'm probably unaware of how weird it gets. Dude, it makes sense though, man. It totally makes sense. Like, uh, I I, I kind of feel the same way. Uh, when I deal with stuff, cause there was a period of time where I had a, and I still sometimes do had a hard time making eye contact. And I don't know what the fuck that was. There was a period in my life where I was having trouble with that. Where hmm. like I would talk to people and I'd either be looking at their shoulder or I was always looking at something other than their eyes. I don't know why. And when I went back to work and I was working hard. I found that I was able to do that again. Like I actually had like a reason to do that. It was very strange. Let me ask you something. Cause, cause I kind of went down a rabbit hole wondering why is it that I feel like I don't want to look at people in the eyes. And I think what it is, I mean, from a director's perspective, you have a great imagination, right? You're able to bring the unseen into a visible reality. In theory. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sometimes I feel like I don't look at people because, uh, one, I'm, I'm really sensitive to just, if there's a lot going on, I can't look at it. But two, I almost, it's almost like I direct my narrative into my brain Weird. and I'll just visualize everything that's going on in a safe space. Fascinating. And so I almost, I almost wonder if, is, is that like, is that what it is for you to where like, you don't look at people in the eyes because it's almost like you're directing your own narrative and your imagination. No, I wish it was that. I wish it was that. That's cool. <laughs> it probably is. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I don't know what my, I think mine come, came down to, you know, you meet you meet a lot of people, and you do. You know, with the business that you do, and I do as well. Like, if I'm on, a, if I'm directing on a set, like I'll meet a, like forty new strangers. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Instantly, and it's sort of like, hey, hi, what's your name? What's your name? What's your name? And I'm, I'm shit with names. I have to say people's names like three or four times before they go in. Um, and then like I, I'll be friends with someone for fucking ten years and never say their last name. Like I had someone on the podcast that I was like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> <laughs> it's been like ten years. <laughs> I don't know how to, how to pronounce your last name. But I think what it is for me is it's <laughs> everything is so uh, in the moment, and I try to keep everything in the moment as much as possible. And unless you're in that moment, and and there's a value of that moment for me then like then at that time I wasn't making eye contact because it was just sort of like okay and I don't know if it was like a defense wall or a defense mechanism but I don't know doing the shows helped me out like as you notice I'm like fully engrossed in all that stuff because I have a reason to be engrossed with strangers and a reason to be back into it again and um, I don't know man I don't know it's weird yeah maybe it's a I don't know what the fuck it is. You know, you know, also it might just be, um, you know, you, you and I, we get hired to do what we do because of the fact that we don't see the world like most other people. I always joke around and I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, I lucked out on getting to be an artist where I get to suffer for everyone's excitement and thrill. You know what I mean? Like I get to li- live in a little bit of misery and you guys are like, that's great. Can you keep living in misery so we can keep seeing your work? We'll, uh, we'll pay you just enough to where you'll stay in it, but then we'll pay you not enough to where you question it all the time. Oh, this, this, is, this is great. Well, it's like, old, it's like old musicians, like old grunge artists, where it's like, uh, he sucks now that he's clean. He was really great when he was on fucking heroin. <laughs> 
<laughs> we just love that shit. There's something about misery that people fucking love and they buy, man. It's, yeah, it's it's weird. I I mean, for me, I see. I feel like I actually create worse things when I'm miserable. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up very punk rock. Um, it was my way of escaping the fact of like I was weird, and it's like everyone knew it, but I didn't know it. So I was like, oh, this is why I'm getting picked on. I can recognize that now, but looking back, I'm like man like people are mean to me this sucks i'm just gonna go punk rock and protect myself and you know i uh, i just i feel like like for me i create I, I was always like that the happy punk yeah like i wore like i wore freaking yellow dickies and stuff like it was just the it was way over the top i mean it, it was it was like all all my punk friends are like leather jacket studs we're gonna write like di and crass and like all these like you know <laughs> These uh, cliche punk bands, and yeah, this is cool. And then, um, you know, I'm over here with like a blue plaid jacket and bright yellow pants, and people are like, "What the fuck are you doing? Like, what, what are you doing? You're supposed to be like, come on, man, tough." And I'm like, "I'm not tough at all, guys. If I open my mouth, people—it's a dead giveaway. I don't know." <laughs> well, dude, have the funny thing is because I've done music video work for years, and then the hardcore world and stuff, and you're hanging out with these guys that are supposedly fucking really tough, and they're just like. They're fucking big bears. <laughs> They're fucking big bears. Like, are my shoes clean enough for the shot? Or make sure you shoot me from the left-hand side. I look better on the left. And you're just like, dude, you're singing about like, <laughs> <laughs> you give a shit about what side we're shooting. Okay. All right. Whatever dude. you want. But that's that's the other thing about what we do is it seems like if if you can convince somebody to to be in front of your camera, that's a, that's a hurdle that you get through. And that's a hurdle that takes defenses and lowers defenses immediately. At least I find that like, if I ask someone to be in front of the camera, they're like, okay. And they become very timid. And then you have to, you have to uh, earn their trust. You have to bring them in and make them feel comfortable. And then there's this weird bond that happens. I don't know. Do you feel that same way when you, when you shoot? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think my my strength that I've always played into is the fact that I am totally cool with anyone in the room stealing the spotlight. I I, I really I don't really want. I, I, see, I have the opposite problem with most people. I don't really care if I'm remembered. That sounds weird, but like okay. I actually I know there's a lot of people who want to achieve greatness and and like have their name be remembered as long as possible. And for me, I would just I would much rather just put the emphasis and focus on whoever's in front of me. So I, I go into every single one of my shoots as I'm the lowest person in the room. Um, if anything, I, I always make sure I'm just dead equal with my assistants. Um, everyone who's on my team, like we're all in this together. Yep. Um, so I always got all my shoots like that. And it immediately, I feel like that's, that has been the biggest factor for why I feel like people can relax and open up mm-hmm. because I don't know if you, you're not an ego that shows up. Yeah. You know, I, I, I get, I get still, I, I actually feel like I'm like a dog in a lot of ways for my personality. I see people I'm like, Hey, this is great. Hey, best friends. Right. Like everything is uh sunshine and rainbows whenever it all comes together. Um, and, you know, I can be having the worst day and I'm like, wow, this is great. I just, uh, I'm so excited. I get to be next to another person and not alone at my computer for today. So this is great. Right. Um, yeah, I sometimes also feel like I'm the uh, the guy from the Lego movie. So there's also that too. But but seriously, um I I love to make people just feel very comfortable. Um and and I I have a big big motto where if someone doesn't want to shoot something or do something, um you know, my job is to push the limits and boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um at some point, you know, when I'm doing 
a shoot if the publicist at one point says, hey, I don't want to do that. I almost feel like I didn't do my job because because there's got to be there's got to be a point where I I see how far I can take it. Sure. You know, sure. So I feel like you can't take it to those places if you are bringing your ego into it for the reasons of why you feel like you're entitled to get these shots. Um, when you when you bring that in, it's immediate kickback, and 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 rightfully so. You know, if someone comes in trying to impress me and then convinces me why I need to do it because they've earned X, Y, and Z, um, my immediate reaction is like, I don't care. I, I don't want to do it, and I'll push back even harder. Yeah. Um, plus, I also, to be honest, I'll, every single one of my concepts, I like to collaborate uh, where I can, mm-hmm. and I want it to be something that. I create with the subject in the moment, you know, I, I'll come to a shoot with a handful of ideas and we might go in a totally different direction. And that's fine with me. I, I, I like to leave it up to creative uh, ideas in the moment and letting the person I'm photographing contribute. And if they don't like it, I don't want to shoot it. Like what's, what's the point of forcing someone to do something that I want to do? Like the whole point of a photo shoot is to reflect how I'm viewing this person in front of me. Exactly. So exactly. I get that. I get that. For me, it was like, I would just try, uh, for me, it was a process like quickly, like trying to figure out why I was infatuated with this person, why I love this person, and then try to convey that to people. I, like I always felt like I had to fall in love with my subjects before I can actually really shoot them well. And that's smart. I yeah. mean, and you should. You should have a vested interest at, like on, on some level. Yeah. Some level that you have to have some type of reason for wanting to do a good job when you are capturing someone. Right. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I love, I almost love just constantly trying to see how far I can get away with stuff. Like, hmm. so when I did, um, I recently did, I photographed the, the cast of uh Schitt's Creek for TV that. guide. Yeah. Yeah. And what was great was I, when they, when they first came in, you know, we have all these props and all these things and, just to even get the shoot going, I, you know, we had to submit four to five different concepts and then it got narrowed down to the concept that we went with. And then even within that, we get a lot of props and essentially everything is decided on in the moment. Mm -hmm. The cast can show up and literally just veto everything. And then we're like, okay, I don't know what we're going to do with this podium, but (laughs) we're going to do something with it. I don't know. So, so when they first showed up, they, they wanted to make sure that it was done in the right taste in the right frame Mm -hmm. and immediately one of the things i've adopted adapted lately is i give everyone the power to just say veto you know and that way it's not awkward and it's a lot it's a lot better sounding than no because when you when you if i'm photographing someone and they say no they're an asshole now you know what i mean right but if i'm photographing someone and they say veto it's it's just kind of funny i'm like okay fine and at one point everyone in the cast vetoed me at some point because i just we had we had three hours to mm-hmm. do two different setups, group shots, singles, gifts, and then on top of it, I had to shoot video. Jesus um, Christ! And I had three hours. Jeez. So, and and within that, I'm like, all I'm gonna do for three hours is literally spout off every dad joke that comes to mind, everything that I can turn this shoot into. I'm gonna say things, and I might not even know why I'm saying it, but like I'm gonna throw out ideas. And if it just strikes them as wrong, we don't have time to like right, get sensitive on it. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, just just say veto. I'm, I'm not going to be offended by it. I'm literally just going to be like, okay, like on to the next one. Um, and also for me, you know, one of my biggest drives is I, I love the challenge. Hmm. I, I, I always tell everyone, I'm like, don't, 
don't choose entertainment photography. If, if you can avoid it at all costs, just do something else, man. There are so many better ways to just, uh, it, it's, because think about this. Okay, and this is why when you reached out to me, mm-hmm. I, was, I was a little surprised also because the film world and the stills world, it, uh, from, from the perspective of an actor, mm-hmm. w- like, why would you ever want to do a photo shoot? It represents nothing within the world that they would want to do. We have friends in LA who, um, you know, are, are actors and aspiring actors, and we've heard them literally say, oh, I hate doing photo shoots. Like, they've totally slipped in front of me, and I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> I get it. Because here's the thing. A photo shoot really is it's a, it's a promotion for something. Right. One. Right. Two, you, you are taking everything that you're about and, and robbing yourself of it. So, oh, you want to you tell a story? Okay. Well, we got one frame. Not, not you know, 23.94 frames. We got, we got one frame. Um, and we can tell a story within that. We're not going to use your voice. So, that's out too. Um, oh, but this guy loves to do gifts. So you'll look like something out of a Charlie Chaplin film. Other than that, you know, like you, you want to go back to the old time. And, it, and when you think about it, there's, there's really no reason why outside of promotions, why, why anyone in the entertainment world would want to be photographed. Yeah, it makes sense. So you're kind of the scum of the world in a lot of ways. And that's <laughs> the photographer. Not to, and look, not, not to, not to sugarcoat it here or anything. I'm, <laughs> but, but for real, there, there's a huge thorn in the side. And then on top of it, and I, I I'm going to, pose this question on you sure i (laughs) this is gonna get funny so one of my one of my assistants who i love dave sanchez great guy amazing amazingly talented guy um one of the times i brought him on to one of the shoots where we were shooting behind a video crew Mm -hmm. and i'm on there to shoot the stills i've done that yeah and and even more so i brought him on for a day where there was only stills but, but the whole video crew was there setting up stuff and running things. And, and I just see him get really frustrated. I'm like, what happened? He's like, he's like, oh man, like the way the grip just talks to the stills team is just, it's so disrespectful. Uh-huh. And then he said a quote, and I always think about it whenever I shoot behind the stills team. He's like, he's like, we're not the stills crew. We're the fucking stills crew. <laughs> That's who we are. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is what it is. And, and I feel like the tension between photo and motion mm-hmm. it, it 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 reminds me so much of uh of anchorman you know when like the two the two different uh Teams news stations they all, all the news stations come out and they all fight each other that's what it feels like for real it's <laughs> yeah no dude wbxy what's up you know what i mean <laughs> um yeah no i i mean i've done both so uh, I've I've been uh, hired just as a photographer on shoots. Why do you hate ph- photographers? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, like I, you're asking a guy that has done both. So for me, I don't, and I think it's a little bit easier for me because, like, a lot of the people that I've worked with know me as a director, and so sometimes I just get hired by the same production company. They'd be like, "Hey, do you want to just take stills? I know you need some work. You want to do some still shit?" I'm like, "Yeah, fuck it. You know, I'll do it." Uh, so I got to walk on as it like the crew knowing me as a director at the same time. So I was able to use that a little bit. Um, but what I do when I do that shit, I try to bro down immediately with the, the lighting crew, like immediately with the actual lighting crew, because 
the reason why you guys are at each other's throats isn't your fault and it isn't their fault. It's the fucking agency's fault. It's the people that are just like, can't we just do them both at the same time? <laughs> and you're just like, where are these images going? Are they going on a fucking billboard? Like, can I shoot with strobes? Can I not shoot with strobes? I mean, they're lighting this with a camera that has so much more sensitivity or it's different than my rig and I can't really do stuff and how do I interact with that? Not to mention the fact that I need 15 minutes afterwards, but they need that light for the next shot. So what the fuck am I doing here? Like, it's just the way that that is set up by the by your clients, by our clients, it just makes it frustrating for everybody because there isn't enough time to do it correctly. Yeah, and, and I, and look, and I, I, I always, the, the moment I find out, like, um, you know, any, any more, any ad job I shoot, um, anything, it's, it's always uh, stills and video on the same day. Yeah. And so I always try to just let the director know, let whoever know, like, hey, I'm not going to be in your way. When you are resetting for a shot, I am jumping in. Um, I have literally changed my rig so I can shoot while you're filming. Um, you know, I, I use lenses. I use everything that I can to take from the light that you're is already existing. So that sure. way, like I'm not in your way. My goal is to literally not be in your way. And I try so hard. And even still though, as hard as I'll try, like someone's going to get mad for some reason at some point. And what's so hard is I want to like, sometimes I like, like I was on a job one time where literally the video crew was doing everything, but the video crew just got wildly behind. Of course. And that's not my fault, but I'm also hired to do a job too. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is, you know, the, the, the agency and the client, they want to see that I have a shot list. I have things that I have to shoot. And the, you know, the motion team gets so far behind that all of a sudden, like people are screaming at me because I just want literally five minutes yep. with someone. Yep. And they're like, we're in crazy overtime. I'm like, dude, this isn't my fault. I, I've been literally out of your way the entire time. I don't know what to tell you. I just wanted five minutes. That's it. Um, so that's why I like, I think from a still side, I'm always, I, I look, I get it. I, I know, I know like the way everything is. Um, uh, actually, have you, have you, have you ever heard of a book called Frenemies? Why do I know this? Frenemies is, is about the, um, the change in the ad industry. No, I and how everything changed. Oh, it's fascinating. Frenemies is what it's called. Frenemies. It's very fascinating. Um, so I, I do these portfolio reviews, um, and there was one year when it first got published, all of the people I met with at ad agencies, every single one of them was like, you have to read this book. It's exactly what's going on. And it, it basically talks about how essentially what happened was someone was kind of a whistleblower. <laughs> Excuse me. Whoa. Bless you. Oh my God. The demons. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. No, you're fine. Um, someone was a whistleblower. And they, it was someone really high up in an ad agency and they had this huge conference in New York. This is like back in like 2015. Mm -hmm. And they basically said, look, I, I can't live with the guilt anymore. You know, we've, we've been like double charging a lot of these, um, you know, clients that we're representing, um, will basically say something costs X amount, but really it costs about half that. And like, it like basically opened up and blew the lid off everything, which then created a number of. Um, domino effects that led to the clients no longer trusting ad agencies. And it yeah. was just, it was this big, massive thing that happened anyway. So it talks about in great detail, all of the things that led up to these points, what's happened since it's happened. 
um, and where everything's going. And then they talk about the rise of Facebook and Amazon and Google. And they talk about how everyone is now going to in-house and how people who work at ad agencies, it's literally every year it's within the, within the top 10 uh, most dissatisfied jobs yeah. uh, in Hell the United yeah. States. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just... There's a lot that goes into it, you know? And so, look, all that to say, I, I, I completely understand why I have to have a Jets versus Sharks moment because, you know, it, the budgets have gotten cut. Yeah. Everything's gone down. And here's the thing. I've, I've also come to the realization over the years, you know, photo, photo made sense for all these years. <laughs> I am back in LA. There's so much beeping happening outside. I, it, it's just accepted. <laughs> like the, the 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 listeners at this point just understand. Yeah, no, just understand. Oh, and someone else's car is getting jacked. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so so I'm in a place where I I've completely made peace with, you know, photo photo was the heyday for years and years and years because it was the cheapest way to consume media. Mm-hmm. You know, like you. Everyone cared more about the photo shoot than the video shoot most of the time for these ad jobs and all this stuff because it was the easiest way to like share the message with people and to get people to want to buy these products and do these things. And now, um, you know, you have the iPhone that gets that comes out in 2007. Yeah. And then the iPad. And then you have this whole digital frontier where now, why would you ever want to do photo when you can display a better message and tell a greater story through video? Right. And so, so you remember what I was telling you about, about celebrities um, not really having a reason to be photographed except outside of promotions? Mm-hmm. Now it's, that's starting to trickle over into the ad world where it's like, why would you want to hire a photographer? Like, tell the story through video. It's a greater story. And, and it's and, tough, yeah. And look, I understand, like, all that's going away. And, and, and for me, you know, like, there's workarounds with it. Like, oh, I'll do gifts. I'll do, you know, there, and there's stuff I'm genuinely like, oh, this is fun. Um, but I... I I would rather be real about it than to live in a fantasy world of um, mm-hmm. like, you know, get off my porch and give me back my nineties film job or okay. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I want the heyday of this. Like I'm just, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of photographers who are, are kind of like angry at the way things are. It's like, dude, that's, that's literally every career in every century. You, you just, you got to adapt and, and move forward. That was yeah. the longest rant. No, take it back, Mike. <laughs> no, no, dude. It it totally makes sense, and I talk about it on the show all the time. And sometimes I find myself in that divide where sometimes I feel like that old guy on the porch is like, "Fuck!" And then there are the other times where you find something really interesting in the new technology and in the new stuff, and you're just like, "Oh, cool, this is fun." Yeah. Um, but you definitely have to, if you're a young photographer listening to the show, you definitely have to be aware of the fact that like it isn't the way it used to be at all, and it's like. It's even it's even harder for for younger folks that are getting into it to just be a photographer at this point. You have to have all these other these other talents. You have to be able to do video. You have to be able to do all this crap. Oh yeah, I, I mean that TV guide I shot. I, I I told you about that I did in Toronto. I mean it was I had three hours to just produce a miracle almost. I mean like when I was done with it and I thought about it, I was like, I. I and not to like toot my own horn. I don't know of anyone who could have done what I did. I mean, it was it was nuts. I, I, I at one point because they they did a video with uh, they did a video interview with everyone, mm-hmm. and at one point I made a deal with the video crew, and it, they were great by the way. I, they were they were awesome. But I was like, hey, I got to do video. Um, I just can I borrow this 
Kino. Just please. <laughs> yeah. uh, you guys are doing the interview after me. We're, I'll mark everything out so everything's good to go. You can borrow whatever my gear for you want to give it like a background behind the scenes look. Please. Because I, I just, you yeah. know, I got to shoot video and we were very tight on budget. So, um, <laughs> but no, like, uh, it was, uh, Nadley who works at TV guide. She was fantastic. She had great ideas, like mm-hmm. kept the shoot running smoothly. And, and, you know, like I know you've mentioned on your, um, on the podcast a lot, it really, really boils down to having a great crew. Yeah, it does. And I will definitely second that. I mean, it, it really does. Cause if you have an assistant who's not on it, if you don't, if you have a Digitech who's just dropping the ball, um, you know, even like, the magazine collaborating with you coming up with ideas to support you and have your back, but also to help further the shoot and keep it moving. I mean, there's just, there's so much, so much. It takes so much. It's crazy. How does that TV guide stuff work? If you don't mind me asking, do you, is that something that you get through your representation or are you bidding on that stuff? And do you have to like create treatments and are you putting treatments in with a bunch of other photographers and they're choosing who you are or how does that work? So that, okay, this is, (laughs) I feel like every, I always laugh when I talk to every photographer because it's wild how much everyone has such a different story. Yeah, yeah. So for me, um, I talk to people who have mood boards. I've never used a mood board. Maybe once because okay. like they were adamant about having one. So I was like, okay, I guess I will. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, every photographer I know, they're like, yeah, I do a bunch of research and I just want to see like who's shot what and how do they shoot them here. And I'm like, yeah, I just. I just, I don't do that. Like I don't, shoot them, yeah. I don't, cause I, I don't, and it's, I, I, like, I don't even do that, you know? And, and, and everyone's different, you know? Um, but as far as all the jobs go and all that, a lot of it was just like, so Rose Cephalou, who is currently the uh, photo editor at Emmy magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, she, t- she was the first one who really took a chance on me. She really was. I mean, I, I thank her every time I get a chance to, for how much she really helped me get my career started and going because what it takes, it really just takes one person to, well, it takes multiple people, but it really takes someone taking a chance on you. And I know you, you probably have a couple people in mind that you're thinking of where like these people took chances on me. Thank you so much because you know, it is scary like for, for a, for a publication or for, you know, anyone to take a chance on someone that they, they feel like is good, but doesn't have, the the previous work to fully support it right the time and, i mean it's a it's a big risk for them and so anyone who gives you a chance you always want to make sure that you knock it out of the park and that way um they look good for the people that they have to report to yeah, yeah. um so i uh i basically just kept hitting her up over and over again um and then eventually i, I met more people and then I met publicists and then I was like, I need to get more celebrities in my book to be more legit. So then I did uh, trade deals with these publicists where they had clients who needed to be photographed for press purposes. And so I would photograph their clients and um, eventually those went away because I ended up getting syndicated. Um, so, but, but I mean, that's great. Cause then it got me to the next place where I needed to be. Um, what do you mean you ended up getting syndicated? What does that mean? Uh, with, with uh, Getty images. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, so it, um, so me being syndicated allowed me to take a lot of the, the portraits that I've done of celebrities and then now we can just sell them around the world. Right. Um, and I went with Getty because Getty, to be honest, I mean, Getty really is massive. I, I mean, they have headquarters in, I, I mean, they're like, six continents and they're the cream of the crop too. They're like the most expensive, aren't they? Isn't Getty like the highest price for like stock? 
So Getty, Getty has a different model. What they do is they're more concerned about mass consumption. Mm. And see, and there's, there's people out there who don't like that. And that's fine. Like, you know, there's other companies like August and Trunk that are great and they have fantastic photographers on there and, you know, like, and they'll, they'll sell their images for, for hire. But at the same time, um, I think I just, I would rather have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Getty, Getty partners, Getty is, at, at least from what I understand, Getty is one of the only syndication agencies that will partner with uh, Time Inc., which is why I get to do uh, film festivals uh, that will partner with Entertainment Weekly and People, or they'll partner with TV Guide, Magazine, or, you know, I mean, like they do partnerships with people because it's a, mu- it's a mutual benefit. Fascinating. And so then what did you just become like a, a photographer that works with Getty and then and then they're, you're on their roster kind of thing? Or how does that work? Sort of. It, it, it all takes time. It, like every, everything just takes time. And I, I talk to a lot of photographers because they mention how they want to jump into Getty and they want to syndicate stuff. And it's like, cool, you got to have a, like at least enough stuff to entice them to be like, okay, he's shooting enough. We could sell these images. Great. Got it. And then from there, uh, when they picked me up, I think I was with them for about two years. And then they hit me up and were like, hey, you want to do South by Southwest? I was like, uh, I didn't even know they even had a film festival. I just, I thought it was music, you know? <laughs> like, no, 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 no. So, um, so Pizza Hut was a sponsor, which was great because uh, I just, I freaking love Pizza Hut. Because then you could buy all that ammunition for your homeless people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that tie-in. That was one of the greatest tie-ins. The payoff. Oh my gosh. Well, they call that the callback. In the oh, that was so good. <laughs> so Wow. So, so That was so good. So, all right. So then you're sponsored by Pizza Hut and then you get to go shoot, <laughs> you get to go shoot your first one. Well, so, so what happens is you end up, you end up getting, um, so we, we did that festival and then it went good. We had some great image sales from it and and then they're like, great, you want to do another one? And then they opened it up more and more. So South by Southwest was sort of the, uh, well, all right, we'll see how he does with this one. And then I did, I did great. So then they brought me on for the next one. And then they brought cool. me in for another one. And then, you know, I, I personally, I, I love the people who work at Getty. I think they're fantastic people. They're very nice. Um, they're very thoughtful. And um, I'm, for me, at this place in life, I've, thought about it a lot i am i am more concerned with selling more images than i am about like the big sale of one image and they still do that like you know just even last week they hit me up with if you know i had to approve a sale that was like it was good sale um and that was being considered for purchase yeah so i had to approve it and they still do massive sales i mean it's not like that's taken away or anything but the thing is when you like there's a lot of publications, for example, like I have friends who would be photo editors at certain publications and they're like, oh, we can only use images from Getty for our publication. Because they have a deal. Because they have a deal. And yeah. and, they're, and it's like a subscription base where they get to use so many. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and for me, I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't I want to jump on that? You know, and I understand that people want to give their images great value. But for me, I would rather... I don't know. I'd rather, it, it seems like the logical thing to do. I, I think photo is still important. I think it's still very important and will always be important to a certain degree. But with the trends of where everything's going, hmm. I would rather put my money on the horse that is set up to continue on and right. push forward. I mean, there's today, 
there is maybe half the amount of syndication agencies than there was probably five years ago. Yeah, yeah. Because they all get purchased by Getty or Uh, by Trunk or August. Or I mean, like, there's a lot of, like, everyone's getting purchased more and more to where it's going to come down to, you know, it's it's probably the same thing with studios, I would imagine. It's all Disney. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, you have like it used to be. Was it Big Five, and now it's Big Four, or it's like Big Two. Big Two. Oh my god! Come on, it's like Warner Brothers Disney. (laughs) Right about now is that time where I reach out and talk to you guys about the people who support this show um the cast of characters who have been there since the beginning and some new faces that have come along people who love the show and they want to make sure that it stays on the air and it's just such a simple thing for me to talk and promote what it is that they do because i support them and i love them and i only ask people to be sponsors of the show that i respect and that i use so sit around listen to it do me a favor and if you really want to help me out just click through you'll find i just updated the in love with the process website go to the in love with the process website at in love with the and there i've separated and curated the episodes by subject material so if you want to go listen to all the shows with directors easy to do if you want to go listen to shows about photography like this one easy to do And the other cool thing is that all the sponsors that I talk about on the show, I have a sponsor page where you can click through and check out their stuff. I also list them below the episode. These are trackable links, guys. This is how this industry works, okay? They're trackable links. So anybody who clicks through, these guys know where they come from. And I'd like to keep them as sponsors. And I know you guys really like their stuff. So when you go check them out, just click on the links below. It'll send information to the sponsors letting them know that you got there because i said something about them it's very important that you do so even just do it right now while you're listening just click below click on any of the links maybe check out puget maybe check out quasar any of them just click it right now i'm gonna wait until you do serious click it pick one okay great let's let's maybe you pick puget Right, And let's get into who Puget is. Puget has been a supporter of the show since the very beginning. They've been a supporter of my work. If you saw Who's There, they helped sponsor Who's There to happen. So these guys are amazing for artists. They've been amazing to me. And the reason why I love them even more is because they build amazing PCs. I cut all of my stuff on a Puget Systems machine. Um, So if you're in the market for a new computer and you don't want to spend that ridiculous amount on a Mac or an Apple, Uh, Go to PugetSystems.com because now in our industry, you're allowed to work on PCs. It's no longer for par. You can totally do it. You can edit. If you're using Adobe products, it doesn't matter what system you're on. Go to PugetSystems.com. You can purchase a system or look for a system based upon the program that you use. So if you're using Premiere, use the Premiere pulldown. They'll suggest a base system to start with. And then these guys are approachable. So you can talk to them specifically about what it is that you need built. I just had my good buddy, Lyndon Gledhill, who did all of this VFX work for um, 12Cam, say to me, look, I want to talk to Puget. Is there anything that you can, you know, can you put in the good word? I don't have to put in the good word for you. I will, but I don't have to. You all have the good word. 
uh, on Puget Systems. You can literally go there and talk to them directly and they'll help you build the system that is right for you, that is affordable for you, and that works for you and is upgradable. So definitely check them out. Go to PugetSystems.com. Next up, sponsor who um, has uh, stayed on with us for the whole season two at this point. Uh, my good buddies over at Quasar Science. Uh, one of the greatest advancements in the film and photography business has been LED lighting. So you can now light with LED tubes like Quasar tubes that uh, have every color in the rainbow. Uh, they're really uh, uh, cool lamps, not just in color temperature, but also you can touch them, you can move them so they don't heat up your set and they draw a very low amount of power, which is huge. Because, I mean, remember the old days when you're using tungsten sources and you're going to the circuit breaker and it's like, okay, so this is a 15 amp box. How many lights can I run on a 15 amp box? When am I gonna blow the circuit? When am I not? Uh, you can run a, an, a buttload <laughs> of LED lights off of a circuit. And most of these lights are even battery powered at this point, which is super cool. Um, and if you're looking for something new, as far as lights are concerned, go to quasarscience.com, check them out. They'll send, you re um, they'll send you references on where you can actually buy the lights, but there you can check out all their new products. I've got a bunch of tubes from them that I use all the time. Quasar Science, definitely check them out. Okay, so next up, my good buddies at Rule Boston Camera. Uh, even though I'm out here in Los Angeles, I still love these guys. I'm still supporting these guys. Um, and if you're an independent filmmaker, if you're a photographer, uh, and you're finding it incredibly difficult to keep up with all the newest trends, and keep up with the latest and greatest technology, uh, I don't blame you, because it's impossible to do so. It's impossible to buy brand new cameras and to continue to charge for these cameras and charge for this tech. It's ridiculous. Every year it changes. The codecs change, the edit programs change, everything changes. So I highly suggest you make a great relationship with your local rental house. Here's why. You have a client that goes to the trades, they just read about the brand new Red 2700, whatever the fuck it is, and they're like, that camera is going to make this project amazing, even though it's gonna be viewed on an iPhone, correct? So you're in a bad spot because you're still paying off your last camera, and they don't wanna use that camera anymore, right? And then you start to offer, well, I'll throw my package in for free if I get the job. Still not paying off that camera. Does this sound familiar? Right. Mm. So what I suggest is you make a good relationship with a local rental house because these guys have all the newest, latest, and greatest stuff. And if you're on the East Coast above New York, the best place to go is Rule Boston Camera. These guys will teach you how to use that new stuff. They run seminars all the time. You can call them up. You can get your hands on all this new gear that you read about, this new gear that is used to shoot movies and television shows that you love. Um, so not only will they educate you, but you can set up an account with them. It's super easy to do. Um, they have references on how to get insurance for it. It's very easy, very simple. Um, <clears throat> and then you can always turn to your producer. You can always turn to your client and say, look, I have the support of this rental house. That means when you're on location in that area and stuff goes down, they will send something else out to replace it or they'll get on the phone and talk you through on how to fix it. Um, I love that kind of support. That's why I have, they're one of my longest running relationships in this industry. I think I've been working with Rule for about 17 years. It's pretty insane when I think about it. Um, so I would definitely check them out, Rule. 
Com. And if you're not on the East Coast, I'm now on the West Coast. I'm looking for a new rental house out here as we speak. Um, definitely do the same thing. Go make a relationship with your local rental house and uh, your life will be a lot easier. Mm. Okay, so next up are my new sponsor and a sponsor that I have to read copy from, which I do not mind doing. It makes my life a little bit easier. Um, <clears throat> next up, music bed. Uh, so I don't know if you guys feel the same way that I do about this, but it sucks when you get bogged down in the edit process while you're trying to look for a soundtrack for your film. When you're in that process of editing and you need to cut to something, there's nothing worse and you sort through like really crappy stock websites. I've been there before, and so has the team at Musicbed. In fact, that's the entire reason why they've built their platform. They've made it easier than ever for you to find the song that you're looking for with intuitive and easy-to-use browse and search. Uh, they have amazing indie artists and bands and incredible composers like Ryan Talbert and Chad Larson. Uh, their roster is growing every day with tens and thousands of songs ranging from cinematic and electronic to indie rock and hip-hop. Um, and either and with either a single song license or subscriptions that give you unlimited downloads there's something for every type of filmmaker uh, to create your free account and learn more go to musicbed.com plus as an in love with the process listener they're giving you one month of subscription for free that's fucking huge or 20% off a single song license which is also great so then you can Use them for the first time with one of your clients. Get the 20% off. Don't tell your client you got the 20% off. Pocket that cash. There you go. A little bit of a little bit of advice. <laughs> Just enter the promo code the process when you check out. That's the process uh, at musicbed.com. I will have a link below in the description to follow through on. Click that link. Like I said, they track these things. So if you're gonna go there. Click the link below, uh, and then, like I said, enter the promo code "the process," and you'll get all sorts of really good stuff because you're listeners of this show. Pretty cool, huh? Man, I feel like a real professional podcast when I read copy like that. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice. I don't have to fucking bullshit my way through a read. It's really good. Hmm. Um. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, the other cool thing to do right now, I spent days doing it i redid the in love with the process official website so if you go to in love with the i got the url pretty badass i'd have to say if you go there you can listen to the episodes that i have set up and curated for you so i'm now over 50 episodes and i know that can be a little daunting when you look at that list and you go through on uh, apple podcasts or spotify and you're just shifting through or sifting through 50 different episodes. Go to our main website first. There are breakdowns based upon uh, topics. So if you just want to listen to directors, if you just want to listen to film crew people, if you want to listen to actors, you can go there, click on it, and you'll see all the different episodes. I also post supporting materials up there. So like uh, videos that they've worked on, photos from set, all sorts of really cool stuff. I might even reference other podcasts that I've been guests on when I do episodes like I did with Ryan from Phil Ryan. So I also 
reference the um, film riot episode that i was a guest on as well um and we continue to have our online beef up there <laughs> um so go check out in love with the uh that's it for the reads i think we should just get right back into it let's see uh what the world of uh being a paid photographer is like So um, that's fascinating. Okay, because um, I, I haven't really, I never really got that far when I was doing photography. So I'm, I'm curious as to uh, is that? I guess to ask this question: Is that how you're doing most? Of, is that how you're making most of your income? Is working through the syndication stuff these days? That is most of my income when it, for entertainment work. Yeah, that that is most of my income because you're doing advertising work as as an additional. Or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I am also. Um, my rep is Greenhouse Reps in New York. I saw that. And yeah. they're great. There's, they're solid people. They've been doing it for more than 15 years. I mean, they're, and they're good people. They're honest people. Um, you know, one of the things that I care more about in this industry is quality of character. Yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, I, I will take a bigger cut. I will, I will make less money. Um, you know, like maybe it's the uh, the socialist in me, but for real, I'm I'm way more concerned with the quality of of people that I work with and my team mm-hmm. than I am about making a quick buck or making an extra percentage or you know I just want good people on my team and um, I feel very fortunate that you know people at Getty, people at Greenhouse, my assistants, um, it's a really solid team. My retoucher Ryan, I mean, like everyone is just really, really, really solid. Um, cause like we said earlier, I'm sunk without a really solid team. It's not just me. I'm, I always tell people I'm just a button pusher for mm-hmm. real. I mean, like, I'm like, Hey, here button. Okay, great. I mean, I, there's more to it than that, but yeah, but for real, I, you know, and, and when I go on Instagram and I see all the people out there, I'm like, dude, I'm so replaceable. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel very replaceable in a lot of ways. And so I would rather um, I would rather set myself apart by being able to lift up my crew. Like I have a policy where I always, always end of day, I pay my team. Yep, they get paid. I will, I will, you know, do Apple Pay. I'll do something, whatever it is. You have Venmo. I'll get it to you in the moment. If I have to bring a check, I will. I've even had people like demand cash, and I'm like, well, that's really who are you hiding from with that? Yeah, I know for real. <laughs> It's like okay, so cool. You gonna jump here's, in your car and there's cash. a body rolled in the carpet in the back there, huh? They only they only work for me one time. That's it. I was like, I don't know about this cash, <laughs> but it's dude, you're 100 percent right, and that's something that I've always done for years as well. And when I had my other business, I I would always cut checks immediately. So it was like, and and this is the other thing that's fascinating about uh, the production company side of things. If they're a smart production company, they get money up front. You just have to. So you generally are are charging like sometimes 50%, sometimes 25% up front. Essentially, you get that, or we would get that from our clients because we're like, look, we have to pay for the shoot on that day. So a lot of these places have that fucking loot. And so my whole philosophy was always, if I'm going to get that money up front, I'm going to use that money to pay off all my expenses, my gear, my crew, straight up. That's basically it. And then I'll get paid. What do we always, we broke our payments down into three, three bits. So it was like 50 up front, 25 and 25 
So after the day of shoot, get 25 and then get 25% when I delivered whatever the fuck it was that I was delivering. And at the end of the day, uh, I usually don't get paid until that back end. So it's usually on that back end that I'm usually getting paid. But um, I've always believed wholeheartedly in paying the crew because I've been a crew person. I've been a fucking freelancer. And you're oftentimes going job to job just to pay fucking rent. Yep. And when you're in that scenario and you have people that are like net 60, net fucking 90, and you're like, dude, how the hell, how the hell can I do a net 90? I'm going to wait 90 days to get paid this like $400 to be on the shoot today. I need that money. Oh, I, I've, I've totally been on that. I've had friends who have helped me out and, um, you know, uh, I've had friends who are like, hey, uh, you want to come do art department on these shoots? I'm like, oh, wow, that'd be great because I am broke and I need yeah, money. And yeah. then you're signing the contract. I'm like, when do I get paid? They're like, oh, dude, it's like six months. I'm like, how is that even possible? How is that? It's not even fucking legal. Like, it's just crazy. I'm like, yeah. who who in the right mind would like enlist any other career? I always laugh because you list any other career where if anyone applied the logic for how they want to pay creatives, it would never fly. Could you imagine? Could you imagine going to your mechanic and they're just like, "Cool, I fixed your air conditioning unit," and you look and you're like, "Yeah, you fixed it, but I don't really like the way you fixed it, so I don't think I'm gonna pay you as much." Or, or you're like, "Ah, you know what? I'll, I'll. How about this? I'll send you a check in five months." Yeah. The dude would literally go in the car, rip it out, and turn it on the ground. Yeah. No, like no one. No, you'd be like, no, you you pay me now because you're going to go drive off into the sunset. I don't know if it's going to, you know what I mean? It's just crazy. So, I mean. Yeah, only in our business. I I feel that way about most of this business. The other thing that really makes me laugh is that, especially as a director, where you spend years of your life pleading, 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 can I please work for free? Can I please work for free? (laughs) Can I please... Can I please have the honor of spending two years of my life and making no money? Can I please do that? It's our business. Or you could really pay a lot to do it. I've I've heard rumors that there are certain certain publications where if you pay a certain amount, oh you, my God. you can shoot the cover. Really? Oh yeah. Why? I guess for exposure. Rumors, though. I don't. I can't confirm nor deny. I'm sounding very. Con- this is like Corey's conspiracy corner. But sure. No, but I. I believe it. You get what I'm saying. I mean, I it's, it. and it's crazy. And I feel like you know, there there's so many times. <laughs> there's so many times where I'm like, you know, if photo doesn't work out, I'll just go back to assisting, because it's <laughs> yeah. it's kind of cush. I mean, like someone can download their bad day on you for sure. But then at the same time, I'm like cool like it's like i'm actually like i know for a fact i'll be making money at this at some point like i will be paid and there's so many jobs where i'm like yeah the assistant made more money than me yeah at the end of the day or i think about the the amount of images that a client wants yeah and i'm like wow i spent two weeks to make what the assistant made wow you know what i mean and i'm like and that's great like i mean if it's a good project that's great but then there's a lot of times where you know i i I moved to LA in 2008 at the um, wonderful peak of the recession. Actually, I would not say the peak. It was more so the starting point, um, which was great. So great. So good. Made me so creative. Made me just not bitter. Not bitter at all. No, actually, I, I will tell you character. Nothing but character came out of that. Cause it was, cause I am the person who I am today because of that. Uh You know, like it's, I'm going to totally, 
I'm totally going to ditch what I was just talking about to talk about this. For real. Because people, I hear people complain. They're like, man, I don't have enough budget. Man, I don't have this. Man. And for me, when I came out, I, dude, I literally, my first real job was shooting tires for a tire catalog. And I was so thankful for the job because I was like, you're paying me money to shoot these tires. And I, but even then I was like, he was like, okay, so here's the thing. These tires, they look really splotchy. So you got to figure out a way to photograph them to where they're not going to look splotchy <laughs> and, and all that stuff. And you know what I did? I literally, I was like, can you give me a tire to experiment on? So he like gave me a tire. I go to Home Depot and I'm like, okay, what can I do to make this not splotchy? You know what I mean? So I, and, I, and I find out, I'm like, okay, so if I put on this tire shine stuff and make the tires really shiny, but then I use this doling spray over the tire shine, it evens it all out. Wow. And then in post, if I apply like this certain type of like blur, but not too much, and then I bring back noise into it, it'll it'll look really nice. Jesus. And so like so so for me, I was like, I'm dead set on making this work. But that was 2008. That Jesus. was that was just the beginning. I mean, it, Jesus. it went it went downhill from there. But <laughs> <laughs> but that but here's the thing, like that that literally made me who I am because because all of a sudden it was like. Okay, you want a shot? It's it's now 2009, which um, things have gotten even worse now because now it's really caught up with everyone. So um, yeah, we have no budget, but you're wanting to get in this industry, right? So what can you do? And literally, it came down to okay, okay, I need a really good idea because I have no money. I need a really good idea. And yeah. and to be honest, like most of the music videos that impressed me the most are the ones where I'm like, you had very little budget, and yet that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And like you're making the most out of it. And I think I think. Like that really develops you because there's so many shoots where like things will come up. People won't want to do a concept or a thing. And, and you got to go back into the bank. All of a sudden I'm like, well, what if we did this? Cause I'm pulling from creativity, like out of nowhere now, you know? So yeah. I have, I have this, this muscle memory from when I was really struggling and I'm pulling from it. And there's a lot of times where like people, people are like, man, I really wish they had a budget. And I'm, I'm like, dude, I really wish you would like, push yourself to be more creative. Go like my mm-hmm. favorite thing is I love going to prop stores. There's a, there's a prop store um, in North Hollywood called history for hire. Dude, anytime I don't have an idea, I just go there and walk around. Yeah. Cause there's so many things I'm like, Oh, I could do this and mix this. And like, that'd be weird. Okay. Let's try that. Let's see if they'll go for that. And it's true. Like when I photographed John Lithgow, mm-hmm. I didn't know what we were going to do. And I didn't know what I was going to shoot, but I went to history for hire. I think like literally the morning before the shoot, I was like, I don't have any good ideas. I don't know what to do. (laughs) And so I'm walking around. I'm like, okay, there's a bomb. That's we'll, (laughs) we'll do something with that. We'll do, I'll bring that. And I was like, I gotta have a backup option. And they had this, you know, like those like 1950s workout belts that like vibrate. Like it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, 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 it's doing nothing, you know, but it's hitting your love handles. So you feel like it's at least making you very insecure. (laughs) So I bring that too. And I, and I, and when I showed up, he was great. He's very nice. Uh, um, and I'm like, okay, so do you want to be photographed with the bomb or do you want to be photographed with the 1950s workout machine? And he was like, definitely the bomb. So, and then I was like, great, what are we going to do? And then, and then I was looking around the house. I was like, can we photograph you in your kitchen with the bomb? Like, and he's like, he's like, actually, it's great because I got to make dinner. Well, great. Do you want to, do you want to hold the bomb while you're making dinner? Yeah, why not? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and that and that's to be honest, that's one of my favorite shots I've did I've done for uh, Emmy magazine. That's awesome. Um, you know what I mean? And it's 
But like that would have never come if I hadn't had the struggle of like, dude, come up with something great out of nothing because you have nothing. So you're like, you're going to, your career is going to die unless you do something. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I totally get that. Cause I was doing music videos at that, t- at that time period. It was the same thing where it was just like zero cash. How do you do it? How do you come up with a cool treatment? And I started to really like doing uh, performance videos because at that point I had everything I needed. And, and my philosophy was always that if someone's, if someone is going to tune into a video they want to see the artist. They want to see what the artist is doing and they want to see what's going on. And if there is no money, you can always fall back on on the physical action of seeing them perform or seeing a musician play his guitar, seeing a musician uh, uh, hit a drum set. And then for me, it just got like, how do I capture this in a new and interesting way? And it's very affordable to do performance pieces. Whenever I t- work with a new band, they're just like, we have no money. I'm like, let's do a performance piece. And let's do a really cool new way of, of shooting it. Like, I always think of like, OK Go and those guys. Ah, oh, so cool. They made uh, narrative and performance this interesting blend because it was physically about them doing something. I think a lot of people forget that um, essentially when you're capturing, at least on video, when you're capturing, someone physically has to fucking do something. There's nothing worse than when you're dealing with actors and and you're trying to figure out the blocking and they're like, especially when you watch like TV shows, like fucking uh, crime drama TV shows, like CSIs and shit like that. And the actor, you know, is just like, can someone bring me some glasses so I can just do something here? (laughs) Can I just be brooding in the background? Yeah. Can, can you bring me an apple? Can you bring me anything so that I physically can do? Because any good performer knows that the audience is there to watch you and you learn more about the person's uh, lifestyle. You learn more about the character based upon how they do something like watching someone make a sandwich or watching someone eat. Um, Those are my favorite videos is watching people eat. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm just kidding. No, that's not definitely not. I'm like, I'm like, it's the really obscure MSR um, where just it's chewing Mm. Um, it's the opposite watching, of mes- mesophonia. Yeah, I just dude uh, watching people eat. Here. That's like Bourdain, like everything Bourdain did. That's mm. all those guys. It's, at the end of the day, you watch cooking shows and then you wait for that end shot where people are like, oh, oh that was so fucking good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, this is so good. <laughs> I mean, that's it, man. And then you're sitting there, like, you're like imagining. It's like, what's that like? Like, what's that food burner like? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, oh my gosh. Uh, so back to the shit that uh, that you work on all the time. How like what is uh, what is like doing a film festival like? Are you basically they give you a corner and then you just have people like that are shuttled through consistently? Or it's so crazy. It's uh, I if if you had to liken it to to a workout, mm-hmm. it, like you know how there's certain things. Um, I know Gina's talked about, you know, like 14 hour days and stuff like that. Um, it's, it's within that realm. I, I would liken it to a, like an Ironman for photographers or an ultra marathon. I'm not even kidding. And what's, what's so funny is, and I, and I, look, I'm, I'm someone who I want to be friends with every photographer out there. You know, if anyone ever hits me up, I'm like, Hey, what's up? Let's be friends. Yeah. Um, you know, it's your Lego pal. Uh, <laughs> so, so whenever I see a photographer who's, uh, you know, doing a festival, I, I, I typically will message them and be like, dude, like, how are you holding up? You know, yeah. <laughs> are you dying yet? Because a lot of times if you follow people who do festivals, you'll see there's like radio silence for about two weeks after the festival because it's like it's impossible to not get sick and it's impossible to not want to just sleep for two weeks. Okay. Dude, like I, I mean, I have so many stories of 
just it, like, cause for me, I realized very quickly, oh, you know, the more shots I get of this person, the more I can sell these at a higher tier because they're all technically original shots. Mm-hmm. So I started figuring out ways that I could maximize. I'm like, okay, I, I can get like two minutes with that person. I can bust out five shots within those two minutes. We'll just like, we'll have backdrops that fly in and like, I won't even have it to where they even have to leave their mark. I'll just have, I'll just tell my assistants a system that where they can just fly things in and out, you know, and we can like rotate and do different things and set up multiple lights for like different mm-hmm. purposes. Smart. And I'll, I'll have lights that literally uh, will just be on a C stand loose. So I'll just swing them in and out for like the different, if I really change it up. But I mean, you have, I mean, you're lucky if you even get two minutes with someone. Mm-hmm. And so my goal is always to get four setups, like at least with just different colors, different light, different anything. So I, I, I kind of created all these different backdrops that I could fly in. I created all these different systems and, and it's nuts. And then on top of it, I have to either repaint or redo a lot of them every night. And a lot of time I'm, I'm in a space that only allows for one thing to be painted at a time. <laughs> so I will, when I, so I will have done like a eight, 10 hour day where I'm not even able to eat. It's just nonstop the yeah, entire day. Throttle, yeah. And you're literally shooting. You have to shoot groups. You have to shoot singles. You have to like make it interesting. And like, you have to get something, you bring something new every time. And it is just, it's so crazy. But then when it's all done, people go and I'm like, okay, now I got to repaint that one. And that color wasn't working. So I'm going to like paint that a different color now and all that stuff. And then, and then they're like every single, not every single time, but there's a lot of times where I will be done with the day and I'll say, I am so exhausted. I don't think I can drive home. (laughs) And then I will literally like, sometimes I will grab a sandbag and just sleep on it. I'm serious. I, I like it, it, you're just that physically tired. Where and it, it, yeah, because I'm like, okay, I could spend an hour one way traveling back to the place I'm staying at, or I could get two hours extra of sleep. And then you just you're like, oh, let's just do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a dude. That's a big thing. I mean, that was a big thing that was going on in the movie industry. Is that they would work, which is fascinating. They would work. Uh, their crews to that extent and then their crews would have to drive home and that's why there was a lot of crew deaths and so then the unions oh, have, the unions changed the rules so the unions actually sat there and they were like all right you're not allowed to do this and there has to be this amount of turnaround time yeah there's else. like force calls by the way i i don't did i tell you my my wife is a stunt woman did i tell you about oh, this oh no this is fascinating i didn't tell you about this no, yeah, yeah no. my, my wife's a stunt woman so i get to hear i get to hear a lot about how the uh the sausage is made it's, it's <laughs> so fascinating. she like kick your ass every day well she will she she will uh, make it look like she's kicking my ass, <laughs> but for real, I'm I'm terrified of her. No, I'm just kidding. No, she, no, she she's great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's part of the reason why we moved out to Atlanta. It's because the the industry is just so huge popular. out there. Yeah. Which, by the way, talk, like talking about a uh, you know cutting corners and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Did you? Um, sorry, this is going to go into another tangent, but it's all fine. related. It's all related, dude. It's fine. All related. Did you hear, I, I thought I read something that Netflix is moving uh, their studios out to London. Is that right? There's a huge push right now, I feel like, going out to London. I know Pinewood mentioned pushing out to London. I, don't, I didn't hear that. So here's something interesting. Mm-hmm. When you shoot in London, mm-hmm. if it's locals, or for the most part, I believe you uh, don't have to pay residuals. What? 
which saves a lot of money. Ah, uh, so that's how they're getting them. I out think there. that's what's happening. Uh-huh. Don't quote me on it. Huh. But I think that's what's happening. I be- dude, I believe it. These fucking places. They cut as many corners as they possibly can, and then you're just like, it's Netflix. And you're like, fuck, man, how much money do you guys make? God damn. Um, but that's, uh, but uh, I mean, you know. That's it's, huge. Though. It's hard. It, well, what's funny is, I because, you know, I we always compare and contrast. Katie and I will talk about, like, the film industry versus the photo industry. Uh-huh. And for her, like, I'll never forget the day that we were just sitting, and, and she was like, so let me get this straight. <laughs> you are the cinematographer. Mm-hmm. You're the DP, you're the director, mm-hmm. but then you're also kind of like the the assistant for wardrobe, uh, the assistant for hair and makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, you're 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 doing like the job of like twenty people. If it was given like a film set, I'm like, yeah. Is doesn't everyone work that hard on the film set? She's like, no. Everyone tells me to stay in my lane. You stay in your lane. That stay in your lane is the it is the uh, the phrase that pays. When it comes to the film industry, <laughs> yeah. um, and even even I, uh, one time when I was, I, I've I've done like a couple of things where I have to go onto a set or do something or you know, and and I've I've overheard people who are just like, bro, stay in your lane, man, stay in your lane. I'm like, whoa, I've only been here for like ten minutes and I heard stay in your lane. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's it's crazy. But like, that's why it's but, it's so interesting. I mean, you guys get a union. Like everyone gets union. See, there's no photo union. I'm like, there's APA, but that's not, I mean, that's like a gathering. That's not a union, you know? Well, and then they don't want to, like any unions, unions are fascinating because I love the idea of a union. I love, I love the principle of, of, of it. It's like protect our workers because at the end of the day, as you're witness to all the time, people will just exploit you as much as they possibly can to get what they need. And that's people do that in this industry. <laughs> what? Yeah. I thought they didn't want to pay me anything because they respected me. I thought they just didn't have any money. I just, you know, and I was like, this is a charity job. I'll write this off. You're a nonprofit, right? This is such a good opportunity for me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. My career is made. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but keep going. But I mean, I see both sides of it. So um, I believe in protecting the workers and I believe in you not having to die for your job. Um, I yeah, also Bernie Sanders 2020. I'm just kidding. Exactly. Exactly. And I also believe, um, <laughs> I also believe that, uh, that everybody's important on a gig. I get that, but there are two sides to it. And it just comes down to fucking capitalism where like the union guys start getting greedy and then like in your interaction with the union shit. Like I, I dealt with this when I was a non-union production company and I did a, a commercial that was supposed to be for the internet. And so the big sly move that a lot of these agencies did was they were like, well, if it's internet, then I don't have to deal with the union. Well, internet became Hulu. Internet became all NBC. Internet becomes all that shit. That was one of the big battles that the union had with this stuff. And uh, they were able to slip their way in and go, it's non-union, so fuck off. We're going to do this non-union. And uh, so I was doing an ad. I was doing a spot that was supposed to be for Hulu or whatever. And then the job was mostly finished. And then the client was like, oh, this is broadcast now. And so it just became broadcast. We didn't get any more money. It just became broadcast. It went on TV and it was a broadcast thing. And the fucking union instantaneously was right up my ass, called me. They were threatening me. And they were going through this whole process of like, 
how do you do this? And I'm like, guys, you're calling the wrong fucking person. I know. You're like, you're attacking. Stay in your lane, Union. Yeah, stay in your lane, man. <laughs> you're calling the wrong person. Call the agencies. Have the balls to talk to the people that pay your fucking bills. Instead of me, have the balls to talk to them. Not the fucking production companies because we're just begging for money. Do you think they did it so that way they can be like, look, we reached out to them and like they said no. Well, what they do is I think what... One of the things, at least in my, in, in the small business in Boston and the East Coast, there was a bunch of big union houses and the union houses supported the union production houses. You sign as a signatory and you become a union house, essentially, uh, which is death in, in this current industry. Um, so they would just support um, the union production houses and everybody bids on the same fucking thing. And then they would just bully the non-union guys, essentially bully the non-union guys so that they have to fall off the map. And by bullying it, it was like, not just like, hey, don't do this shit, but it was also calling every one of the rental houses, every one of the spots and being like, if you fucking rent to this guy, if you do this oh, shit. Straight blacklist you. Yep. Straight oh, up. man. And so then they go through the process of just trying to, and, and so their, their methods have always been bully methods, which never work because you call anybody up and you bully them. Like you're not allowed to fucking shoot here. Then, then that's why you have people going to like Atlanta. That's why you have people going to all these different spots because of how the unions were running things here in Los Angeles. And Boston is a really good example of that. For years, the Teamsters in Boston were ridiculous. Ridiculous. And so out of the 70s, beyond, like from the 70s on, the Teamsters were insane. So no one shot shit in Boston. Hmm. And it took years and years for a tax incentive. And they had to do a tax incentive. They had to start bringing people in. And you still have to have exchanges with teams or some of the stories with those guys you still have to have exchanges with those dudes but it becomes a lot more affordable and you saw that a lot in the past five years like detroit had a killer fucking tax instead of before before they realized that they were stealing money and all that shit like <laughs> atlanta has a fucking killer that's why they do like um walking dead they do all that stuff down oh, there there's so much there's so much it's there. so crazy it's so crazy it's the tax incentive it's essentially the tax incentive that keeps that industry alive. Um, it, I don't know. It's a tangent that we fell down. I can't no, no, no. It's cool. I mean, like, I was just gonna say one more thing, and I like, I because almost, almost because I have a platform to say it. I just, I just, I, I have to say it. Like, I, I love my wife so much, and I love the stunt community so much. I married into it. You know, my wife's been doing it for like more than twelve years. Um, she's an amazing, talented woman. Um, but like the like. Just because, you know, this is about films, so it's all relative. Mm -hmm. But the stunt team, like the people who do stunts in, in films, they are like, that is the one group of people that will never complain. Never complain. You know, I mean, like it, it could be terrible conditions. Like, did, did you see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Mm -hmm. Okay, one, not to give the movie away, because this is not really giving the movie away. But one of my favorite parts, one of my favorite parts, I die laughing in it. Is when you know, like uh, the stunt team is going over with Leonardo DiCaprio with the uh, the flamethrower, yes. and they're explaining, okay, like you know, you're gonna paint over, you know, point it over here, and you shoot it. And he's like, and he's shooting, he's like, whoa, <laughs> he's like, whoa, whoa. I mean, that is that is so hot. Can we can we just like can we not make it so hot? And they're like, dude, it's a it's a flamethrower. Like, what are you talking about? And, and I was dying laughing because I was like, yeah, that. That's real. Like that that's what happens. That's why like the stunt stunt team is like they take all of that stuff and they'll never complain about it cuz their job is to literally go at it and do the best job they can and just to be like no voice on set except for safety, you know? Like they do their job and they go home and they they it's it's the most like humble crew. It's great. Um 
the the biggest oversight though in the entire industry i i like just the biggest oversight is the fact that there is no stunt there is no award at the oscars for stunts it makes me so angry it it is the craziest thing because like think about every great action movie think Mm -hmm. about like and look, not to say that Fast and Furious is going to get Oscars, but like, mm-hmm. but for real, like you take out all the action in it. You, you talk about an industry where, pe- where people have literally given their lives for the art that you consume. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, like it makes me so mad. We've known people who have died. Um, things happen because people are doing crazy shit. And it's like, how, how are these people not awarded? We have an award for everything. There is an award for everything. And it, and I guarantee like the stunt community would never want it to be televised. It's not a big deal. You could give it to like the stunt coordinator. Great. Cause I know there's debates of like, well, then we got to nominate a stunt person and it gets no, 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 no. I mean like none of that, you know what I mean? But like it, to me, it's, it's the greatest oversight. And it's the greatest disrespect for, for people whose jobs are to make sure that the actors are, are safe Yep. That everything is safe. Yep. You know what I mean? And uh, it, it's just, it's mind blowing. And I know the stunt community, like there's a couple of people who are like very outspoken about it. A lot of people just like, because of the nature of like being in stunts, there's a lot of people who take that on into the personal side and don't really project a voice for it out of respect for like, that's their job. They go to do a job and that's it. And I know like, it just to me, it's so crazy that there's no there's no recognition for it. There's recognition for it in the Emmy world for TV. Um, they have it for uh, drama and comedy. Like they have two different categories. You know, like it's just it's so crazy. It's so crazy to me. I Sorry. Wonder, I wonder why that is. I wonder why it isn't in the film world. I have no. I don't know the answer to that. I wonder why they don't do so. I, I've heard rumors. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard rumors of why, but I mean. They're just rumors. Uh, I won't go into rumors, but like, <laughs> uh, but here's the thing. It's, and this is going back to the whole thing. And I think you and I will agree on this. You know, it takes a team. Mm-hmm. It, it takes an unbelievable force to make anything come out even decent. Um, I once, I once heard a producer talk about how everything in this world wants you to not create quality material. Everything in this world wants your project to fail and it's your job to make sure that it continues forward. If anything comes out at least decent, it's it is honestly a miracle because a there's so miracle. many things that just want to go against you. Yeah. And to me it's like it's such a huge part of the industry. It, and it, and it's and it's a part where like we've lost like a handful of people due to accidents and things. And it's like, why would that not be recognized? You know, well, dude, it's your just crazy. fucking job is like throwing yourself downstairs. That is insane to me to begin with. Like asking someone to do that. It's a, it's a strange thing to ask somebody to act, let alone be like, Hey, can you strap yourself to this harness and jump off the side of a fucking building for me? Like that is insanity to me. And anybody that does that gig, I have nothing but the most respect for, um, because they are, like you said, they're literally putting their lives on the line and their job is trying to figure out how to hit that windshield and roll off that windshield without fucking breaking their back. Yeah. Like, that's insane. That's insane. Any of it, like maybe joining the army, maybe joining the army and being in the military, like that's the equivalent of it. And at that point they're like, here's a gun, go get shot. You know what I mean? Like it's fucking fascinating. Like, even race car drivers and shit these days are fucking so well protected in their vehicles and stuff. Well, know? and this is what's even crazier about it. And I'm totally cool with going down this tangent if you yeah, are. Okay, great. Uh, 
you know, I was listening to a stunt coordinator talk recently and, he, and you know, everyone, thanks to YouTube and everything, people are like, man, why don't we get like that guy who's amazing on a dirt bike to be like, oh, this stuff. And here's the thing. The reality is when you do a film, you need what's going to be logistically best for the film. You yeah. need like, you, like, sure, that guy is going to be phenomenal on a dirt bike. He will be better than anyone else. But like, can he throw a punch that sells? Does he know how to throw a punch? Can he, can he take a fall? Can he be carried for the film? Because we're going to go shoot this on location somewhere. So it'd be great to be able to take him for the whole thing. Yeah. And that's where stunt people come in. Because it's you have, you have like a handful of talents that you are able to pull off. You have to have the same body type. You have to like, there's a lot of the logistics that go into it. And like, it's not... I think producers, they want that guy that they see on YouTube and they're like, let's get that guy to do it. And it's like, that's cool. But like, like we also need to film a fight the same day. So like you want to pay another guy to do the fight? Cause like, I don't think he's going to be able to do it. It's, it's so unbelievably rare that you get someone who can do all of the stuff and do it well enough to where it sells. And like, it's just, it's so crazy. Like the amount of thought and process and talent and things that go into it. I mean, like the planning alone is absolutely crazy you know, like like the wire work, everything about it. It's so nuts. Or here's here's an even here's another one. Sorry. <laughs> Last thing. But did you know that um did you know that puppeteers, puppeteers get residuals? No, I did not know this. But if you put a person on wires, the guy who's doing the rig for for the wire gag doesn't get residuals. <laughs> at least at least from what I know of. So like, but think about this. So if it's like a fake person on strings residuals that guy gets residuals you know like i'm i'm sure being john malkovich just glory days for all the puppeteers out there <laughs> yeah. but but you know you like you know someone on stunts oh someone's on the wire and like we're moving them into this position and it's like yeah we're gonna keep with the puppeteers like, you know stuff like that it's just it, it's it's fascinating i'll say it because no one else will say it that's all that's all sorry I'm, i could i could go on for days on this stuff i know like i like i'm, I'm laughing because i'm like yeah, I was supposed to talk about photo, but this is way more interesting. I would much rather, this. I would rather do this all day long than talk about photo, dude. This is why you're here. Okay, <laughs> how are you on time? What are you, what are you at for time? Um, I probably got to leave soon. I'm actually going to um, there's a uh, there's a nonprofit. I'm uh, they do like a a thing once a year. It's cool. It's like a, it's a faith based nonprofit where they go and build um water filtration systems in Guatemala and Cuba, mm-hmm. and it's rad. Like that, to be honest. So in in the last year. The hands down, the greatest thing I did was I went and shot a, like the whole process of everything. And so like what's rad is that there's so many different clean water efforts out there and they're all great. Like there's like, let me tell you something. Okay. We, we don't, we don't understand. We don't understand the struggle that most of the world faces with water. And it's not that, um, people don't have access to, you know, water and stuff like just put it in perspective the, the entire country of Guatemala. Okay. Any water that goes into your mouth you are consuming liquid food poisoning. Really? Think about that. So that means you can't brush your teeth in a sink. That means when you take a shower, no water can go in your mouth. That means that anytime anything goes in, you you run a great risk of just being wildly sick. And, and the whole country lives with that. And there's multiple countries in the world that live with this. And it doesn't matter how sprawling the metropolitan area is. It doesn't matter. Like everything is infected. So what they do is they this, uh, this organization, they go out and they do multiple things. One, they they um, they have people on payroll who are locals in Guatemala mm-hmm. who are constantly going around to try and find sites that need clean water. And then what they do is they build these systems that eliminate all viruses, all bacteria, all that stuff, and they, they build it into a, a community center, you know? So most of the times it's with the church. Most of the times it's with, it's where like a lot of the community comes together on stuff. 
Um, on top of it, they do an education program mm-hmm. because a lot of the times is like the, the people who like the the adults don't really want to change. Like you, you're so you're like whatever. This is this is fine. I've been living with the stomach ache for years. I don't even like think <laughs> yeah. about it anymore. Because right, right, right. for real, like they just get used to it. Whereas they found that uh, if you, you can just inform the kids with education and show them like, hey, there's bacteria in the water. Like brushing your teeth. Don't like you have to use clean water for it. Anything that goes in your mouth has to be clean water. The, the odds of them informing their parents and then stopping the chain of all this stuff so that way people can have a just a more productive life. It's a great organization. Hmm. Um, so I'm actually like I'm going to be driving over to that. They have a once a year fundraiser, cool. um, which is which is great. And then I'm going to post some stuff on my Instagram for just promoting it as well. But I, I think what they're doing is fantastic. I mean, there's just we don't. And it's what's what's funny is. Like we talk about electronics and we talk about all this stuff and it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, the, and the reality is like, these are things that are real to us because it has to do with our work and sure. it has to do with all that stuff. Sure, but make, but us, then, make me feel like a piece of no, shit. I know, no, I know, no, no, I know. But like, what's so funny is like, we're, we're you know, we're, I, was in, I was in Guatemala back in August and, you know, you're riding around you're like, what's crazy is like, it's opposite problems in opposite parts of the world. So like sure. for them, community, so rich. Like their, their personal life is so rich. Suicide rate is unbelievably low because it's such a strong community. Mm-hmm. And, but then they just, they don't have stuff and things and, and, and they need resources in order to have more of a productive life. Like, you know, not feeling like they're going to throw up or crap their pants from drinking water. Um, whereas, you know, I feel like in the States we have the opposite problem where it's like, oh, like let's sell more products that you don't really need and we'll convince you that you need it. Right. And, then, and then we're just all like, man, we're so depressed. And I know I'm getting on like a soapbox here and all this stuff. But, no, but it's true. But it's at the true. same time, I, so when I went out there in August and shot all this stuff, it was just, dude, it's the most rewarding thing I've done in years. It was so great. I mean, wow. it's like, you know, I, I live in an industry where what's funny is if I shoot something and the magazine doesn't like it, and or if, if they, they choose a photo that I don't like, I should say, <laughs> you know, it's funny anymore. I'm just like, Ah, oh, it's just gonna be in the publication for a month, and then it's out, and and, and it feels, it feels sort of like bubble gum, and I, I, to like to have a chance to like change people's lives for real, you know. I I mean, I'm not, I'm not like dissing the entertainment industry. I think like storytelling is so vital to the world that we live in, and it really brings about a, a, an exploration of the soul. Sure, you, you really like it's it's so important for our society to to experience stories. Um, honest stories. Though. Honest stories. Well, you know, I do. My favorite movie is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. That is my favorite. It's a good movie. Do you think it's honest? <laughs> I do. I think it's honest. I think that uh, what's his name who directed it is honest. Oh, there you go. I okay, think, okay. I okay. think I think he's that honest. was your that was your nice way of saying I don't like Scott Pilgrim versus the World, dude. <laughs> it's not that I I love that. What's uh, Jesus Christ? <laughs> Baby Driver. Baby Driver. Yes. Um. Uh, and I loved uh, Spaced. What's um, Edgar Wright? Yeah, I fucking love Edgar Wright. I think he's great, and he's he's one of those directors with a voice. And even though I, I just don't necessarily like the the subject of the source material. For, you can tell me you don't like it. I just don't like. The I'll, source just talk, material. I'll, I'll just talk. I'll just you know. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not. Saying we'll wait that. till the mics are off, and then I'll really <laughs> <laughs> divulge into how I'm feeling right now. Was, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Everyone has their opinion. But I mean, yes, I agree. Stories are really important, but then. You're really trying to find, look, being a storyteller right now and then learning how to get into this business, it's fascinating. And, and being someone that, that pride, I pride myself on my ideas coming from weird places. That's, that's, the, that's the thing. Like I have a whole system in place on how I brainstorm ideas. 
and I try not to think about anything else and I try to come in the back door with all my ideas. And it, it makes my life really fucking hard. Hmm. It makes it really fucking hard because when you're going to pitch these ideas, they're, they're, they're difficult to process. And so when you're pitching ideas to people, they're just like, is it a vampire? You know what I mean? Like, what is the monster? Is it a vampire? Is it like, what, how have I seen this before? What is it? And how can I package this thing? Because they're thinking about sales and they're thinking about like the fastest fucking way to get sales, the cheapest way to get sales. That's why you have superhero movies. That's why you have all this shit that's going right now because it has literally, Marvel literally has a hundred plus years of advertising. So you don't have to work that hard. Wow. You don't. Like, Plus, I, I think people don't want another John Carter of Mars, where, like, personally, I like John Carter. I did, too. But, like, I think they didn't know what to do with it. They were like, how do we market this? Because, because it, it's hard to do. I know. And, <sighs> but there's nothing... Dude, if you look at all the movies that... Stranger Things. If you look at all the movies that reference movies right now, they're referencing an original piece of content. Gremlins. Goonies. That's, yeah. they're all original ideas, man. Yeah, but I love like mystery. Mystery is uh, to me, mystery is the unsung hero of great storytelling. You know, I, I like the stories that I think of the most are the ones that I can't fully resolve and I have to process it. And like, I love it. That's to be honest. And this is why I love Scott Pilgrim vs. the world there. I've seen the movie 30 times minimum I minimum. Be I believe you. There are still times. I watched it uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm in the shower three days later. I'm like, oh my gosh. When Scott's at the party and he's trying to figure out who Ramona is and they talk about, they reference one of his friends who knows everything. He references the fact he's like, yeah, didn't you get drunk on some G&Ts? Like, and, and he's like, no, what are you talking about? But he's referencing the fact that he knows everything and future on in the movie, Scott Pilgrim gets drunk on G&Ts. So like, like stuff like that where I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen it 30 times, but here I am like four days after seeing it and I'm still like, oh, I didn't even think about that. That's that. Wow. That's crazy. Like completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. And that that's what I'm saying is that these movies that they're basing these movies on were original ideas and ideas that started from a, a filmmaker's perspective. So like you go back and you look at fucking Raiders of the Lost Ark. You go back and you look at E.T. Like a filmmaker came up with those ideas. An artist, a person that had a voice. It happened to be Spielberg who had a great deal with the studios that allowed him to do so. But it's a filmmaker that was coming up with original content. And then that studio had to figure out how to sell that content. And they did it really well. E.T. got huge because they had that deal with Reese's Pieces. And he was super smart about fucking putting that candy <laughs> sure in Sure was. And then follow the candy to the fucking thing. Super smart. Super smart. But it was an original idea. Do you, I... I I know we're pressed for time, but I, I, I'll, I'll end it with this. Do you feel like, um, and I think I know what the answer is. So this is a self-fulfilling, like pat myself on the back. I'm going to make you answer what I want you to answer uh -huh, question. But uh -huh. do you feel like, um, do you feel like greed is essentially, uh, rottening the storytelling experience that our society so badly needs? Um, I think the perspective, I think the re, How do I answer this? Ooh, I, long pause. I like this. Yeah. I think that. This is a big. This is a. This is a big. Sorry. I just threw a grenade in the room and walked out. No, no, I? no. It's fine. This is a big answer. And I'm trying to figure out how to do it in the shortest amount of time. Like. We are a culture. Straight up. Uh, aggressive. Competitive culture. Like. Like. From the age that you leave your mother, 
to go to school. It's aggressive. It's like competitive. Like what team are you on? Are you fucking Yankees or Red Sox? <laughs> you know, like there is entire cultures in the the middle of this country that are like high school football teams to fight each other. This is whole mindset that like once I graduate high school, I'm worthless. Like that was my my golden point for that. Um, we're trained to compete and we're trained to take as much as we possibly can. And being someone that isn't a competitor, uh, when I went to school, I wasn't into, I fucking hated sports. My mom like put me on a basketball team once. I fucking hated it yep. because I just don't care enough. I don't care enough <laughs> to get into a fight with somebody to take, to get into like a heated fight with somebody to win something that doesn't mean anything. Hmm. And so I, I've always had that problem. And so where did I end up turning? I turned to art. I turned to storytelling. And I found myself not being in that in that way, observing how that affects people, observing how that affects depression or how that affects testosterone or how that affects all these different things. And then being interested in telling those stories and being interested in conveying what I observed from what I considered to be the outside of that stuff. And I think that's how a lot of photographers exist. I think that's how a lot of storytellers exist. And then the thing that's really fucked up is that you have to go back into that system at some point. Like I can be like, if, I don't even think you can anymore. Like David Lynch, you know what I mean? Where it's just yep. like, I'm on the outskirts in the middle of fucking nowhere and I'm painting shit and people give a fuck about <laughs> what I'm doing, you know? Like, and yep. I, somehow I'm getting paid to do this. But there hits this point as a storyteller where you're then thrown back into that fucking place. And I'm seeing this, I've been here for like a month and I'm seeing this as I go do general meetings and as uh, my agents and management are like, you have to continue with the trades, read the trades, see what's going on, see what's happening. And everybody's fighting over the same shit. Everybody's competing of like, I need to find some fucking uh, comic book that no one's ever read before and I need to fucking try to adapt this thing. And you're all trying to force yourself into this thing. And you're like, okay, well, what is this thing? And then you end up in a room and then the person's just like, well, I got to be able to sell this and make as much money as I possibly can. And you're just like, that's what we're doing. That's what all this art is. That's what all my years of experience are. That's what all this stuff is, is that I'm literally going to take a really sweet idea that would only, that would be perfectly told in an hour and a half. And I'm going to, I'm going to have to draw this out for 12 fucking hours so that you can hold on to subscribers. It's kind of, it's kind of like, a, I one time heard someone talk and this is the last thing I'll say. I got to go. <laughs> yeah. um, but I one time heard someone talk about when they talked about other socialist countries and how they support the arts and how they'll, they'll cut discounts back. So that way artists can focus on creating art. Um, you know, and it helps to subsidize their living expenses and all that stuff. And, um, and, and the comment, that I heard was, well, then, you know, they aren't, they aren't true artists. And, and I laughed because this person I know, uh, collects a lot of art (laughs) and I, and part of me laughed because I was like, dude, probably half the people you collected probably died broke. (laughs) They, and they weren't true artists. You know what I mean? And, and it's not to say that you have to be that, that struggling artist. It's not to say that you have to die for your craft. I'm not saying that stuff. Like for me, I literally, I just want to be a good husband. Um, I don't have kids yet, but I'm dying to have kids. I want to be a good father. Like I really want all those things. And I understand like, yeah, money is the way the world works. Like you, you have to, there, yeah. there are certain things you definitely have to do. And like, I want to provide and I don't want to be like, oh, I'm an artist. So like everyone's going to die with me. And it's like, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. But 
art is the trickiest thing to walk the line on because it's like, where is the line of, I need to make a dollar, but then at the same time, like I want to create good stuff. Where is that line? And that, and that's tune in next week for where is that line? You know what I mean? That's just food for thought. Sure. It's great food for thought, man. And it's like, we can get, we can get really into this for a long period of time. I just, I, the only thing I would say is that we, right now we talk about this pendulum and this pendulum happens with social issues. This pendulum also happens with, with us just as a society. And I feel like it's swinging really hard in one direction. And that one direction with what we're talking about is profit. And everybody wants to be a millionaire. Everybody wants to be a, a like a Kardashian. Everybody wants something for nothing. And so when you look at these people that make an ass load of fucking wealth, anytime I see that, being a business owner and being someone that, that, that has done it the correct way, you can't get ahead if you play by the rules. You just fucking can't. Like the system's in place where if you run your business the way you're supposed to run your business, you're always going to be under the thumb of it. It's the way it is. You'll always be in debt to whatever fucking gear you're getting, a subscription services that you're getting, and then you'll never be able to crack the surface. And the people that do break that surface are the people that break the rules. And to a certain extent, when I see someone that's fucking really wealthy, I'm like, who did you steal from? Like, where did that money come from? Because in order for you to crack that ceiling, it's got to get fucking shady somewhere. And it's just, I, I just think that as a culture, and I'm getting really too deep, but I think as a culture, we really need Bring to it. sort of look at what is important to us. How much do we actually need? How much do we truly make? And be honest with ourselves and just go like, how much, I'm not a millionaire. How much money do I fucking make? Can I afford this $1,200 fucking phone? Can I afford these things? And, and then you're looking at it going, well, well, then what makes me fucking happy? Hmm. That's why there's so much fucking depression out there is because we're so programmed at this point. I'm feeling like shit. I'm going to go to the store. I'm feeling like crap. I'm going to go on Amazon. I'm feeling like crap. I'm going to fucking buy. I'm going to consume. I'm going to look for the shit. And it's, it's hollow. It's, there's no substance to what that is. And if you're lucky enough to accidentally stumble into a scenario where you find fucking substance... Where like maybe you decide to take a class or maybe you learn about cooking or maybe you're doing something that physically, tangibly requires your hands. That's when you start to see awakenings from people. I mean, the whole hipster movement. That's when you start to see people being like, this is important to me. I want to build things with my hands. I want to do this stuff. Um, but then capitalism comes in on those guys. They're like, cool, I have this really successful donut shop now. I want to fucking franchise it. And it's that moment where they go, now I want to fucking franchise it? That you're just like, ah, oh, it's the end of what it is that you're doing. I don't know. I'm living the dream, bro. I'm living the dream. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's what I've always wanted to do and I can make money. Doing it. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's the line. It's the much, line. How it's much? Because you're an artist like I'm an artist. And I'm sure that you're in the same financial situations that I'm in all the time. How much money do you physically need to survive? Do yeah, I haven't had a paid job in five months and I was able to cross the fucking country and do shit. Dude, I, for me, uh, I, like from half the year, I think I was like negative 15 grand because I yeah. just kept going out on jobs and jobs and kept going out. I was like, I was like, dude, it's eventually going to come back in and it eventually did. And I'm like back on track for where I should be with the year. But it's like, who wants to live like that? Like, that's, that's crazy. Dude, but at the end of the day, we're still, you seem like a happy fucking dude. You're not walking in here in tattered clothes and you don't have fucking like all these health ailments. You're physically still surviving. And so I think that 
we're so trained to think that we need as much as we fucking can have and we need to have all this shit. We need to stack this shit because I need this for my life and I need to I need this for my kids. And everybody gets really fucking um selfish. And they're just like, gimme, 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 gimme. From fear, out of fucking fear. And you're just sort of sitting there going, like, dude, you do you though. Don't you think you'd be fucking sweet? 70 grand a year, you're fucking good. You know what I mean? 50 grand a year, you're okay. You could still survive if you're fucking managing your shit. Why do you want to be a fucking millionaire? Why is that your fucking goal? Well, and what's interesting is if, if you do a lot of research on people who do make it, you know, like they get to that point and then they're even more depressed than, yeah. than they were before because they realize, you know, I got to this place that I thought would make me happy and, and here I am. And wow, that hole is even bigger because now I see that I'm still me at the end of the day. And I think, I think everyone, like, to be honest, I think there's like this like massive God sized hole inside of them that they're trying to fill up with just anything and everything. And it's dude, like, it's, it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me. <laughs> All I can say is travel. Cause when, when you go to the other yes. countries where they have nothing, yes, you, you realize you're like, these people are happier than me on my best day. And like, and they have nothing. And, and really like everyone leans so heavily into community and everyone is given a purpose within that community. And there's so much. And like, and we, we're just doing the opposite. We're like isolate myself more with like electronics and things that'll make me happy. And like, and look, like these are, these can be good things, but it's like, they're not ultimate things. Like these aren't things that are going to make your life, you know, like it's not, it's not going to cure your depression by doing this. And, and I think we all experience that level of success that a lot of people who are at the very top experience. And that is like, yeah. Oh, I got this new phone. Yeah. It's kind of the same as my last phone. Yeah. I don't know if I really needed this because now I don't feel happy anymore. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I was more excited about the anticipation of it. Now that I have it, I just hate myself. I don't know. Like not to that level, but you know what I mean? Exactly. And when you say travel too, I also want to say that it, you don't necessarily have to like go save a culture, go do like any no, of that stuff. No, no, no. Like half the time with folks, I just want to say a good thing to do for travel is literally shut your phone off for the weekend. Just don't use it for the weekend, which is insane. There was a point in time where in my lifetime, that wasn't unheard of. But to say that to anybody right now, that's insanity. I'm not going to have my fucking phone on me for two days. That's fucking insanity. And when you do that, when you actually take yourself out of that consistent line of electricity, like that cultural voice that's just running through everything right now and you step out of that the world looks just a little bit different for a moment yeah and then you start to maybe you'll get inspired in that moment to follow a path to something that makes you happy and i'm not saying it's gonna happen but i think that when you say travel I think the same thing. I just mean like, cause I've been to a, like, of course, cause I, I'll follow my wife on films. So like we had to go out to the Philippines. She was out there on like born legacy one of the times for a couple months. So I got to go out there and, and dude, like, that's I, cool. There's like all these orphan kids who are hacksawing rebar and are barefoot and they're eight years old. And, and, and like, dude, it's just insane. And yet they're all laughing and having a great time. And I'm like, it, it is like a million degrees in humidity out here. But like, it, it just, you see the way the, the world works or just even like within your own community, just go, go, like go experience life within other communities. Like the one thing I love about LA and I miss about LA, to be honest, the Mexican community. Yeah. Talk about a community that just, 
I, I, I love the Mexican community out here because it is the most hardworking, but yet the most, uh, like, I can't tell you how many times when I lived in LA, like, so, uh, like a Mexican bailed me out of something, you know, like I was trying to haul something over the 405, like over the hill and, and, and like, I didn't have any straps to keep it in my car. And literally I pulled over at a gas station cause I was terrified. And literally like one of the guys comes up and he's like, Oh, he just gives me a strap, gave me, gave me straps, to, like hook it into my car. I'm like, Oh my God, thank you. Cause I was going to try and buy bungee cords at this gas station and they didn't have any. And like bungee cords would not do it. But like I, that happens to me all the time. And it's like, dude, they have the strongest community out here. Like yeah. no one is more connected than the Mexican community out here. And it's, it's awesome. But, and you see like how dude, like everyone has a sense of joy mm-hmm. that just goes beyond circumstances. It's just, yeah, I don't know. And yeah, yeah, yeah. we're yeah. down. Ah, you're awesome. I'm awesome. We're awesome. down okay, a hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So anyway, all right. So I think we're gonna wrap this up because okay. we we've gone pretty long. Sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to go this long. Oh, it's yeah, I good. I gotta get going. Yeah, it's fine. Um, so uh, last thing I would just say is, um, this is usually when I uh, let the guests give advice to someone younger and someone that's sort of coming up in this business. Um, and, uh, what would you, what one piece of advice, just to keep this very general, Mm -hmm. what one piece of advice would you have for a photographer that's trying to get into the business right now? If, if it were me and I could go back and speak to younger me, you know, I, I think the one thing is keep in mind that art is very much a reflection of, of who you are. You're, 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 you're telling a message through a very limited, finite form of a medium and it's your perspective. You're, you're literally shouting to the world, this is who I am. And I think a lot of times people wanna be like someone because they really like their stuff. And that's, that's great, you can like stuff. I have favorite photographers. I love Chris Buck, um, Art Strivers, awesome. Like, you know, like I have favorite photographers for sure, but like they, they already exist. You know, like the, you were created individually and unique and you are your own person and therefore, Figure out what it is that you want to say to the world. What is it that you're trying to convey and, and, and figure out the ways to convey it. Because a lot of times, if you're trying to be someone else, um, like it's not going to come across as strong as you explaining to the world, this is who I am. These are the thoughts that I have. These are the beliefs that I have. You may not agree with them, but like this is who I am. And, and, and we can all learn something from the differences that we experience. you guys enjoyed this episode um i really liked hanging out and talking photography um with Corey, and i'm very excited with how awesome this new season has turned out i've been getting notes and comments from you guys on how cool the guests are which is awesome i've got some really cool stuff in the pipeline i've got some really awesome guests the strange thing is is that i'm banging these episodes out all at once so i have no idea in the order which they're going to be released yet Um, So it's hard for me to say what comes next, but if it hasn't come already, there's some really cool episodes coming out. Um, And I appreciate you guys sticking around. And please, please, please follow me um, on Instagram, but also subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast outlet. I for sure am on Apple Podcasts. I for sure am on Spotify. Uh, And the other thing to do is when you are listening to the show there, just rate it. Give me a five. I'm a five-star man. Give me five stars. Rate the show because then it puts it higher in the algorithms. 
it shows up on the list. I just had someone try to look for our show on Spotify and he was having trouble. I think that's because you guys haven't been rating it there. So please, do so. It only helps the show. And the more that people know about the show, it's easier for me to get these guests on that you want. Because let's be real about it. When I write to a guest, they go, who the fuck is this guy? (laughs) And at the end of the day, they're going to know who I am if you guys are talking about the show. Take some graphics, any of the graphics that you find on inlovewiththeprocess.com. Steal those graphics, post them online, brag about the show, brag about the fact that you are one of the first. You are the group of people who started with me. Right? Super cool. Next thing you know, it'll be five years and the show will be huge. You guys have been there since the beginning and that's something cool. I appreciate that stuff, but it's also something cool, man. It's something to be proud of that you've been with the show since it started. Brag about that shit. Tell your friends. Tell them that you listen to the show and it's your show and they can go fuck themselves and they shouldn't listen to the show because it's yours. Because then they'll listen to the show. See how that works? Reverse psychology. <laughs> All right, guys. I appreciate you listening. Um, as always, uh, I love you guys and stay tuned. Every Tuesday, I've been putting out shows like I fucking promised. There's another one coming out next Tuesday. So if you subscribe, your little phone will ring a ding dingy when it's time to go on. So go do it. All right. Anyway, love you. Bye. <laughs>